Wow. Lauren, was that the first time we'd sung that one here? Yeah? No? Yes? Wow. I love that song. Come behold the wondrous mystery. If you've got your Bibles, open them up. You heard that text read earlier to 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. 1 John, toward the back of the New Testament, uh, you've got a neighbor there that'll help you. They won't judge you. We'll have it on the screen too, but uh, 1 John chapter 2, we'll spend a few moments in this morning. I uh, was thinking about a little thing I do with my kids occasionally, and we, they'll draw something for me. I have kids of all ages. I've mentioned that, I believe. Yes? Okay. So my three-year-old and six-year-old, who are at home now watching, uh, will draw things for me. And, you know, it's clear. It's clear as a bell sometimes, right? You can make out clearly they've drawn a giraffe. So the other day, one of them drew a giraffe for me. And I said, what a beautiful monkey, right? Dad, you, you see how that worked, right? It's not a monkey. I was like, how do you know it's not a monkey? How do I know it's not a monkey? Well, they would describe it and say, well, it's a giraffe. It has a long neck. It has this. It has that. Um, if we drove pa- past this building on South Boulevard, you would look at the building. Even the unchurched, those that are not familiar with church, drive past this building and don't think, oh, look, you know, there's a 24-7 fitness. I don't know. They, they just, that probably doesn't go into their mind. Or, oh, look, there's a... Um, another drugstore beside the Walgreens. They look and they see that the building is constructed as a church. Oh, look, there's a church. How do you know? Well, it looks a certain way. It's got a sign that says church out front, kind of a dead giveaway. If I were to describe to you an elephant and then say it was a kangaroo, you would think something was wrong with me. I'm making a point. I'm going somewhere. We have a lot of people that like to attach themselves to the name Christian but in fact, don't meet some of the descriptions that the Bible gives us. The old timers used to say, if you want to go to the heaven the Bible talks about, you got to get there the way the Bible says go, and it requires much. Pastor, I thought salvation was free. Salvation is free. Living for Jesus will cost you everything. But it's worth it. It's worth it. Joseph and Phoebe Knapp were among the wealthiest of New York's glittering social scene years ago. He started um, Metropolitan Life Insurance Company. The Knapp Mansion was the mecca of all the social activity at the time and social settings. They were Christians. Phoebe took a keen interest in the ministry of gospel music. When Joseph died, she moved into the Savoy Hotel and she had an organ put in her room. Side note, I'm glad I didn't live under her, right? And I like organ music, but can you imagine? Yes, I'd like the organ moved into my hotel room. I can't get a refrigerator put in some when I travel, but uh, she could get an organ put in her. So one day, her close friend and hymnist Fanny Crosby stopped by and she was playing on the organ and she said, Miss Fanny, listen to this. I want to play you a tune. She plays the tune, and she says, what does this tune say? And Miss Fanny says, ah, that tune, as she clapped her hands, says, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. And she sat down and immediately wrote out the words, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine, heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. 
Those incredible words flowed out of a tune that had already been written. This morning we're going to talk about assurance, but I want you to know the assurance we have doesn't start with us. It's not something we can muster up and kind of keep going. No, it flows out of something that was settled 2,000 years ago by the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's look at verse 1. There are two things I want us to notice before I give you your first kind of header point this morning. Look on the screen or in your Bible there at 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. If we just stop there, I want you to notice the audience here. My little children. Now, it would be a little odd if I greeted you all that way. If I got up this morning and instead of saying, good morning, Grace Servant Church, I got up and said, good morning, my little children. Some of you go like, who's this guy? What is that? Who's he think he is? Can you imagine rolling up in here as a guest? I mean, it's, you know. They've already got to deal with me, but then they deal with me saying something like that. It's believed that John was probably an octogenarian here at this point in his life and, and on up in years some, but still, it's an odd greeting. It's a tender greeting. It's a father-like greeting. Who's he talking to? He's talking to Christians. He's talking to those, remember, this is just as Christianity is beginning to get started. John here is addressing Christians, and notice one of the first things he's going to drive home He's going to talk about sin. But again, notice the audience here is us, Christians. The audience is believers. And it's believers that he's laying the groundwork for to live a life to glorify God and shine the light in the dark world. Sounds like we could use some of that too. Notice the audience. Notice the aim. So that you may not sin. What? <laughs> so that you may not sin. Wait, are you saying that once we're Christians, we don't sin anymore? No, I've met you, and you've met me. That's not how it rolls. Somebody gave a great kind of explosion or amplification of the verse this way. Listen to what they say. I'm writing these things so you won't regard sin as an inevitable part of the Christian life, and so you won't presume on Christian liberty by thinking sin is no big deal. So when we're saved, it doesn't make us sinless. Wordplay. I've been waiting on this one all week. But when we're saved, guess what we do? We sin less. The elementary teachers got it, right? They, I saw that. This is stuff we teach our kids. This is basic, basic understanding of what it means to be in Christ. But I want to take a moment. I won't take too long here. I won't camp out on it more than John does. But to remind you that sin is a huge problem. Only Christianity, of all the worldviews, only Christianity offers a sufficient answer to the question of why the world is the way that it is and why mankind is the way that it is. Our culture minimizes sin. You can't tell me I've done something wrong. Who are you to judge? Well, first of all, for you to presume that something is wrong, you've got to appeal to a high an absolute moral standard, which is out the door now in our day of relativism, but I'm telling you the Bible is still the Bible. It's still the word of God, and sin is still sin. And God calls us to be sensitive to sin and to sin less. Our aim is to sin less. But you start talking about sin. You stop judging me. You can't tell me I'm wrong. You think you're better than me? Yes. No, I don't. I'm just kidding. Sorry. Our youngest children, though, here come to understand. We teach this foundationally in our uh, Sunday school hour in our group Bible studies 
At the youngest age, in nursery, they're taught this. People choose to disobey God. That's sin. A little more preschool up. The sentence goes like this. Sin is choosing my way and disobeying God. That hits preschool elementary. Middle school, they're around that. Sin is anything we say, do, or think that is against God's way. These are foundational. I know you get this, but, but maybe, just maybe, you're like so many Christians, or you know some, let's put it that way, that the older they get, the lighter they take and make sin. In fact, if we're not careful, we're tempted to sound more like our enemy than our king. Remember, it was the serpent in the garden that appealed to Eve and said, it's not that big of a deal. Did God really say this? Calling into question the word of God and the weight of sin. Let me challenge you this morning before we move into the three points we have for our time together. Whenever you are tempted to make light of sin, it's no big deal. Nobody will know. It's just this one time, whatever it is. Whenever you're tempted to make light of sin, can I encourage you to meditate on the cross for just a moment and see what it costs our precious Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, your sin, my sin. He was pierced for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquity. Christians are kind of caught between a rock and a hard place. We cannot reach sinless perfection in this life, yet we're commanded not to sin. The point here is that our goal should be to live day by day without committing sin in thought, word, or deed. A tall order, for sure. Certainly, Christians ought to be people who sin less. The trajectory of our lives should point toward holiness. The Bible says in Hebrews 12, Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see God. When we walk with Jesus and walk toward God, people see God. They see the Lord in and through us. All right, our precursor again before we get to the first point. John's addressing Christians. He's calling us to aim for sinning less. And then praise God, he gives an encouragement and reminder to us what to do when we do sin. You know, sometimes that answer in that elementary Sunday school class, if you've ever been in one before, they'll ask a question. You know this. We call it the Sunday school answer, yes? They'll ask a question if you say, well, how do you sin less? Or, or what do you do if you do sin? And somebody sheepishly in the back corner will go, Jesus? Is, that, is Jesus the answer? Right. <laughs> Jesus is always the answer. And it's hard to say no because it's hard to say no to Jesus, right? But here, Jesus is the right answer. <laughs> if you're taking notes this morning, here's your first one. We're going to look at verse one, Jesus is our advocate. Jesus is our advocate. That word advocate is parakletos or paraclete. It's one that comes alongside. It's another way to say helper. Jesus is our advocate. If I could give you a longer title, and I would have, there have been too many words. Blessed assurance, Jesus is our advocate. He's our advocate. This word, parakletos, occurs five times in the New Testament. Four of the five times it talks about the Holy Spirit and only here is it used to describe Jesus. Some of you look like you don't believe me. Let me show you real quick. John 14, 16. The Bible says, I'll ask the Father, Jesus speaking, and he will give you another helper. Now, I hear you in the room going, that's not, that doesn't say advocate. I know it doesn't, but it's the same word, paraclete. It was translated helper here and advocate in First John. 
I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. I'll give you another helper. Jesus, just 10 verses later, says, But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. John 15. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, look at what it says. He will bear witness about me. John 16. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's for your advantage that I go away, for if I don't go away, the helper will not come. But if I go... I will send him to you. All four of those times, who are we talking about? Talk back to me. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, the present force and person that we have in our lives that pushes us to Christ. But the fifth time, 1 John 2, 1, the word says, my little children, I'm writing to you, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, look at it, Jesus Christ the righteous. Now, the Holy Spirit is the one that comes alongside us and teaches us how to pray and leads us and guides us in all truth. So how is Christ our helper? Well, let me just play off the text here for just a moment. He's the righteous one. The Bible says in Isaiah 53, 11, out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah, is the righteous one. Here's another way he's our helper, which might seem a little remote, but hang with me. He's in heaven as our advocate. If I were to ask you, where is Jesus right now, according to what the scripture tells us, he is seated at the right hand of the Father. There's the Trinity. We've covered it this morning. The Bible says in Colossians 3, verse 1, if we've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Here's my encouragement to you this morning. You ready? This is, this is really, really special. God loves you so much, and he cares about you so much, and he's setting you up to win so well so that you can walk with him. He's put a helper in you to be with you here on earth, and he's got a helper on the throne that's got the Father's ear. I mean, State Farm doesn't cover you that well. He's got you covered in heaven and on earth. I, what more could we ask for? We wouldn't have even asked for this. Remember the word advocate means helper. It's one who is called to come alongside in a time of need. The helper helps us when we sin. He's the cleanser of our sin. He's the forgiver of sin. He's the one that helps us when we miss it. We stumble, bumble, and fumble, and sin, God is there. The gospel is amazing because we are introduced to our helper, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're introduced to our helper, the Holy Spirit in us. We've got a helper with us. We've got a helper in heaven. I feel like I'm getting helped this morning. I don't know about you. I could use some. How about you? Romans 8, Paul would distinguish it this way. He uses the phrase intercessor. It's beautiful how he says it. Paul says we have an intercessor in our hearts and an intercessor in heaven. Therefore, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. I'm helped this morning. If somebody says, how you doing? You can respond today, I'm helped. I'm helped. What a blessing. Christ is our advocate. Look at verse 2 now as we come to our next point. He is the propitiation for our sins. 
I do love when translators put words in the Bible that they translate easy most other places and then stick this wonderful word here, propitiation for our sins. That's a big word. Uh, Helasmos is the word and its form is used four times in the New Testament. A a better word for this, propitiation is a great word. Let me tell you what it means. It just means the means by which sin is forgiven. So it's the way that our sins are forgiven. How are our sins forgiven? Wait, wait, wait. Sunday school answer. Say it. Jesus. Right, that's excellent. 100%. Jesus is how our sins are forgiven. He is the means by which our sins are forgiven. Can I give you a better word? You ready? Hit it, Mark. Atonement. Why is atonement a better word? Because it starts with an A, and my first word started with an A. Atonement. Thank you very much. 1 John 2, 2. He's the propitiation, the atonement for our sin. Christ paid our sin debt on the cross. In modern vernacular, we owed a debt we couldn't pay. He paid the debt he didn't owe, and the account is settled for those who put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ paid our sin debt on the cross with his own blood, This is one of four times that this word, hilasmos, is used in the New Testament. You don't believe me? Let me show you. (laughs) Romans 3, 25. I know you believe me, but you know I'm going to put it up there anyway. When God put forth as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith, God put forth Jesus as a propitiation. Hebrews 2. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest, speaking of Jesus, in the service of God to make propitiation or atonement for the sins of the people. 1 John 4.10 In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, atonement for our sins. The fact that our sins can be forgiven that our garments can be washed clean, that our lives can be made new, that our hearts can be made right with God is because of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Truly man and truly God. This is a monumental work that Christ has done. Now, I want to take a moment in the sermon here and do something I don't typically do. I don't typically quote large portions of someone's writing. When I say large, I'm not talking about this. It's a paragraph, though. But this is so well written, and it's just a complete thought I can't improve upon. And the sources he cites, it would have taken me another week to find them. Uh, Danny Aiken has a comment here that is worth sharing in light of the truths. Let me put a scripture up for you here. 2 Corinthians 5, 19. I want that on the screen while I'm sharing this quote with you. You see, it says, in this, this propitiation, this act of atonement, Christ God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. The the only way that we have a message of hope and reconciliation with God, the only way we get to say man can be right with God is because of the finished work of Christ. This is not a newsflash to most of us here at Grace Covenant. But I do want you to hear what's being said. And I quote Danny Aiken on this. Therefore, feminist theologian Dolores Williams is wrong when she says, listen, There is nothing divine in the blood of the cross. Episcopal Bishop John Spong misses it when he says, neither do I want a God who would kill his own son. 
Steve Chalk is also an era when he questions the orthodox understanding of the cross and calls it cosmic child abuse. A vengeful father punishing his son for an offense he has not even committed. A twisted version of events, morally dubious, and a huge barrier to faith. No. The work of the atonement accomplished by Christ on the cross is where God's holiness and God's love meet. It's where God's judgment and God's mercy kiss. Yes, it pleased the Father to bruise His Son on the cross, but it also pleased the Father to bestow upon Him the name that is above every name given among men on the earth. You see, we have assurance today because we have a helper here on earth and in heaven, and we have assurance today because Jesus Christ sufficiently paid our sin debt with His blood. Let's go back to our original passage here and get our mind wrapped around for this final point. Verses three through six. In 1 John 2, verses three through six, the Bible says, and by this we know that we come to know Him. Oh, look, and by this we know. If you don't have we know... Underline in your Bible, maybe even buy this. I'd do the whole thing. Buy this. Here's your Pastor Darren moment. Ready? You pull out the pen, you click it, and you go, buy this. I'm learning. I'm learning. And there was no video, guys. I've had to learn it like through stories. But you pull the pen out, you mark it. Buy this, we know that we come to know him if we keep his commandments. Ruh row. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. When Lauren said that, I felt like she meant that. It's true. It's absolutely true. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Well, we know we have assurance. So there's your point, third point. Blessed assurance. Jesus is our assurance. By this we no, and we live in such a world of wishy-washy um, politicians and public speakers, and unfortunately, some of the pastors of some of the largest churches in America that get the screen time can be wishy-washy on things that, like, I'm wondering who they're trying to impress. You know, somebody will ask them a, what they think is a tough question. Do you really believe that if people... Uh, reject the Lord Jesus Christ that they will spend eternity separated from God and they go well well I, I've got a, some source text if you need an, some help brother it's, it's, well don't be well just say it say it with love say it out of anger say it with concern and passion say it like Jesus standing weeping over the city for sheep that are wandering like they're without a shepherd but say the truth We can know these things. We don't have to, listen, confidence and assurance are important human attributes. I think we can all agree on that. It's hard to get much done in life, in love, or on the job without a measure of confidence. It's extremely difficult to grow as a Christian if you don't have confidence in the Lord and in what he says. It's like trying to drive the car with the brakes on. You might be going through the motions and have some sounds, but you're not moving anywhere. We have confidence. We know some things. Spurgeon is quoted as saying this. He was so sure of his salvation that he could grab onto a cornstalk and swing out over the fires of hell, look, the face of the, look at the face of the devil and sing, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. That's confidence, brother. 
That's confidence, sister. Was that in him and his work and his ability to speak? He was incredible. No, it was in the finished work of Christ. Christ our helper, Christ our atonement. We have confidence because of Christ's position and who he is. We have confidence that God can save to the uttermost. I am confident to tell you if I spend any time with you, this is true. And I would hope that if an unbeliever, a lost person, unchurched, found their way wandering into here because it wasn't a 24-7 fitness center and figured it was probably one of those church places and came in and sat on the pew Sunday after Sunday, even if they had no interest in the things of God, they would marvel watching a people worship and a little guy behind a pulpit preaching like he actually believed this stuff was true. We know some things. But when John wrote that, he said, we can know some things if we keep his commandments. And by this we know, and we come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Now, I know it's summertime. I'm landing the plane. Don't worry. I know it's summertime. We're about a month away from school starting, and I'm about to use a trigger word that I hope everybody will take a deep breath on. Let me get it out there, ready? Test, test, sorry, I'm so sorry. Test, how many of you like tests, school tests? Some of you do, don't raise your hand, we're gonna judge you. Um, tests, we're in the midst of summer right now and I can feel the middle schooler and high schoolers hating on me saying, how dare you even say that word? There's some college kids in the room that just finished up, sorry, college adults, uh, that just finished up uh, calculus, crammed it in, oh my word. Crammed it in six weeks, is that right? Oh, that's a special anointing, my dear sister. Um, most of us adults, just so you know, kids, you're not alone. We hate tests too. Some of us are in our 40s, 50s, 60s, and later, and still have nightmares of waking up having to take a test in school. Some tests are actually fun, though. Give me, a, give me some grace, like those little IQ tests, or, you know, which Disney character are you today? <laughs> Depends on my mood. I keep getting a baboon. I don't know. Um, some tests are essential, aren't they? In the next three to five years, I'm looking around the room, we have quite a few that will be on the road operating motor vehicles on their own. I want them well tested. <laughs> yeah, I want them to have passed, not just eked by. Like, did, how'd you do on your test? Well, I made it by one point. Take it again, right? <laughs> let's, let's take the tests. There's some tests that are essentials. I want physicians well tested. I want counselors well-tested. I want educators and attorneys. We have all of those in our congregation. I want all these people well-vetted and tested well. Health tests that indicate what's really going on inside of us. We want to take those so we can find fact versus what we feel. This test that John's mentioning is that kind of test. Here's the test to see whether we know that we're in Christ or not. You ready? One word, obedience. When John says, by this we know, the this is not a feeling or a moment in time or a prayer prayed in the past. It's this, if we keep his commandments. Keep regular obedience to God's word. One of the ways that you know you're a Christian is if you desire to obey God. If you have no interest in doing what God says, and you have no desire to get into the word of God, if God's principles and commandments are of little importance to you, inconsequential to you, that should be a red flag to you 
and to those around you that your Christianity might be a name only. Assurance of your salvation is unattainable without obedience to God's commands. God puts the highest priority on obedience. In Micah 6, he says, He's told you, O man of God, what is good. What does the Lord require of you to do justice, love kindness, walk humbly with your God? Samuel has a word on obedience. As the Lord is great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen better than the fat of rams. Hosea has a word on obedience, for I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. Jeremiah has a word of obedience. Obey my voice, and I will be your God. James has a word on obedience, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Micah, Samuel, Hosea, Jeremiah, John, James, they all have a word on obedience. Newsflash, Grace Covenant family, the world outside of us, that new lost person that I had the privilege to study about a couple of weeks ago up in Asheville at an event designed to help us reach the new lost person better and what they believe and what they think, they're not looking for a new definition of Christianity, just a real demonstration of it. And it's not that we demonstrate our Christian faith by our ingenuity and creativity and by how much sizzle we can put in a show on a Sunday morning. No, they want to see us walking with Jesus, obedient to his word. It's not just obedience, but it's walking in obedience. Look at verse 6. He says, now, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walks. So I would tell you the test is twofold. There's obedience. And then there's the life that's really just the walking toward obedience. We're not always going to knock it out of the park, are we? We're not always going to uh, hit a home run. We're not always going to do perfectly. We're going to sin. And I hate to say that against what I said earlier, setting up is inevitable. But we all make mistakes. We all miss it. But if we're walking toward obedience, it's an indication that we're walking toward the Lord. Paul would say, follow me, 1 Corinthians 11, as I follow Christ. Here's your word for the day. You ready for your hook? You waited so long for the payoff. It's gonna be anticlimactic, I can tell. Blessed assurance is tested assurance. It's not just a song you sing or a feeling you have or a prayer you prayed one time years ago and something you confessed, walked through, did a class, checked a box. Are you obeying the Lord? Are you walking in obedience? Do you desire to obey the Lord? That's a good indication. And the absence of all that is also an indication that something may be amiss. You say, Pastor Chad, you talk about obedience. That's 66 books and a lot of words. Where do I start? Not Leviticus. <laughs> All right? It's the inspired word of God. I love it. I got a brother here that loves Leviticus. I love it. But don't start there. Let Maybe start where Jesus, when he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He said, all the prophets and laws hangs on this. You probably know it. It was the Shema he gave in the New Testament. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Let's start with that command and walk in that. While they're coming to the instruments, I'll just close with this little illustration to help you. Julia's coming, the singers are coming. We're going to have a moment to reflect.
to examine the scriptures that have been presented to us and see whether or not we're in the faith. What are we desiring? Obedience? A little girl stole a doll from a store and hid it in her jacket. She was about Valerie's age. She stole a doll in a store, hid it in her jacket. And she walked a few steps away and then she felt so bad about it. She went back to where she took that thing from on the shelf. She looked around and you know what she did? She put it back. Isn't that precious? Well, she kept feeling really guilty about it. She talked to her mom later and said, Mom, I don't think I broke one of the commandments, but I think I cracked one. (laughs) Christians are not immune to breaking the commandments. You may crack a couple today, but we have a helper who's in us and on the throne. And we have atonement. The price for our sins has already been paid. And so we can have assurance, blessed assurance, as we walk in obedience, walking in the way the Lord would have us to walk. While you're seated, while she plays, maybe take a moment, ask the Lord to show you where you are in the test of assurance. Let's pray. How'd you do in your test today? You say, well, I'm not perfect. Welcome to the club. Have you already blown it today? Don't worry, there's forgiveness in Christ. If there's no desire to obey the Lord, no desire to please the Lord, you just kind of want heaven, then we have a problem. Christ, though, is the solution. He can help you this morning. He's already paid the price for your complete forgiveness. Come to Jesus the lover of your soul. Come to Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. Don't settle for a lie when you can know the truth. Let's stand together and lift our voices in worship and song together.